welcome to uh, part seven of a series that I started at the beginning of the year called um, You Do You. whole purpose this entire year, we are just looking at discovering what is our identity. Identity always answers the question of who am I and what am I called to do? And I think every single person wants to know who am I and what am I called to do? So during this year, we're mainly looking at three big subjects. We're looking at spiritual gifts. We're looking at spiritual formation, and we're looking at spiritual conflict. Because these three studies together of um, gifts and formation and conflict help us to understand who we are and what God has created each of us to do. Now, the first thing that we try to understand when we're talking about identity is we're going to look as followers of Jesus. We're going to look at the Word of God and say, who does God say that I am? So we look at scripture in the Bible that will tell us that we're sons and daughters of God, that we are loved, that we are forgiven, that we are accepted. We look for scripture that tells us God has a good plan and a good future and a destiny for us. And and so we understand those things, that what God speaks into us about who we are. But another part of understanding who we are is to really understand our values. We need to understand what we deem as valuable because everything we value will influence the decisions that we make. But the reality is most people's identity and most people's values are often pretty separate from the kingdom of God values. Some people grow up in a culture or in a family or in a church or some kind of structure that influences your identity and it influences your values, but it often doesn't speak the truth to you. You might have grown up in a family that didn't value you very much and they might have told you that you were not worthwhile or you were not valuable or you did not have a good future or you might not amount to much. Or maybe you grew up in a family where the value system was pretty oppressive to people that were different from you. So that's where spiritual conflict comes in. Because sometimes the values we have and the identity that we have clashes with the values that are established in the kingdom of God. And that's where spiritual conflict comes in place, where sometimes we need to be delivered of things that actually are set up against the purposes of God. And so that's why we have these three disciplines. Spiritual formation helps us to understand the identity that God has for us. Spiritual gifts helps us understand what God has for us to do. They help influence our values. And then spiritual conflicts helps us understand to be the people that God wants us to be. So that's why we're studying these three disciplines. So today we're going to start talking about the gift of prophecy. We're going to go throughout this year, and we're going to be talking about the various gifts of the Holy Spirit. So there's probably, I, my count, there's 26 or 27 different gifts of the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about those throughout this year. So I thought if we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, let's start out with prophecy today. For some of you know, when a couple weeks ago when I was introducing spiritual gifts, I mentioned and I quoted a friend of ours, Jack Deere, who's a retired professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, a Greek and a Hebrew scholar. And he said 25 years ago, if you examine churches, most churches believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit had passed away, that that was something only used in biblical times. He said, however, nowadays, the majority of churches believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for today, It's just that churches don't understand how do we really use the gifts of the Holy Spirit? How do we use them in a a corporate setting as well as how do we use them on an individual setting? So that's why we want to talk about spiritual gifts a lot this year. So we're used to spiritual gifts and we're used to flowing in the spiritual gifts. So today we're going to talk about prophecy. And I figured if we're going to start talking about spiritual gifts, let's start out with a gift that probably has the most questions. It's probably one of the gifts that's probably the most controversial 
but it's also the gift that a lot of us would like to be on the receiving end of that gift. We would love to hear somebody say, I believe this is what God is saying to you. We would love to receive a prophetic word. And a lot of us would really desire to be the person that gives the prophetic word. But at the same time, people get a little bit nervous about the gift of prophecy because it can quickly go wrong. So often, a prophetic word can just get really bad quickly. So a lot of people look at prophecy and they say it's pretty risky. Even people that are theologically trained and know all the gifts of the Spirit are for today, they often look at the gift of prophecy and say, but let's just maybe put that one aside. Maybe let's focus on the other gifts and let's kind of ignore the gift of prophecy because, you know, it really could get us in trouble. And I understand the fears and concern people have around this gift. I've been around this gift for 30 plus years and I, and I know when that gift is used right and I've seen it used wrong. And nobody likes it when the gift is used wrong. And that's why many churches throughout the years have said, let's kind of ignore that gift. Or let's ignore the gift of tongues because I don't understand that. Or maybe gifts of signs and wonders and miracles. Let's just kind of ignore them. Or the gifts of word and knowledge and words of wisdom. Let's kind of ignore them a little bit because I just don't understand them. Plus, they can quickly go bad. And a lot of times people will back up their idea with a story of, hey, I was around this gift or I was in a church and, and they would do this and that was wrong, so let's not do it anymore. But theology is never driven by personal experience. Theology always has to be driven by what the Word of God says about a spiritual gift. And sometimes what we need to do is say, okay, I'm going to take my bad experiences, I'm going to put them aside and say, what does the Word of God say about this gift? So the big question that we have is, what would the Apostle Paul say about spiritual gifts? What would the Apostle Paul say about a church or a community or a person if they were using their spiritual gifts in an incorrect way? Would Paul call up one of these churches or pastors and say to them, hey, you know, I've heard reports of how you are using spiritual gifts, so you're using it wrong, so I want you to stop doing it. I, I want you guys to, 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 to no longer practice spiritual gifts in your church or your cell group. Would Paul say that to a church? For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about 1 Corinthians, and the book of 1 Corinthians is basically about Paul addressing the church for the abuses that they had using their spiritual gifts. The bottom line is many people in that day were abusing their spiritual gifts. They weren't using them right. They were confusing them with pagan practices. They were mixing spiritual things from God with pagan practices. And Paul even wrote a whole letter and said to the church, you're not showing love to anybody. And so you shouldn't even practice spiritual gifts because if you don't show love, it's kind of meaningless. You remember your point is love. But did Paul tell the church to stop using gifts? in the midst of all this controversy, when they were using poorly, did he tell them to stop? See, the answer is Paul did the exact opposite. Paul did not throw water over the church and say, stop what you're doing. Instead, he threw fire on it and said, do it even more. You look at 1 Corinthians 12, 31. Paul said his answer to them using their gifts wrong. He said, you should earnestly desire the most helpful gifts. Then the next chapter, in chapter 14, verse 1, he says, but you should desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. The church is using their gifts in a poor way, and Paul is saying, 
desire more spiritual gifts. Desire prophecy. Desire the gift that can quickly get you in trouble. As one theologian says, the Paul's solution to using spiritual gifts was not prohibition. His solution was not do it less. His solution was just do it right. That's Paul's answer to the church. You may mix it up. You may doing it wrong. But hey, this is a solution. Focus on Jesus and start doing it right. I think we all would have understand if Paul said to the church in Corinth, stop what you're doing. You're not going to do any more spiritual gifts until we have a five-week class on spiritual formation and discipleship. And then after that, then maybe we can do some spiritual gifts. He didn't do that. He said to the church that was abusing their spiritual gifts, desire more gifts. Desire that God would pour out his spiritual gifts on you. That was his solution. I think that surprises us a little bit. His solution is to desire more gifts. Because we've all been around spiritual gifts that have used, been used poorly, and it, it's kind of obnoxious. We've been around gifts, and it's been false, and it, you don't like it. But true, the truth is, if we are going to be a church that uses spiritual gifts, we're going to have to be a little bit flexible and a little bit forgiving at times. People need to learn how to use their prophetic gifts. You don't just get a gift from God and boom, you know exactly how to use it. We need to learn in our ability to use prophetic gifts. When I was at Fuller Seminary, they had a whole school of psychology. And the psychology students would give free counseling because they didn't know how to deal with that well. But you could go get free counseling because they had to learn somehow or another. So let's just mess up on the future generation of pastors. <laughs> I never went to them for counseling, just so you know. But you do, we, it's called a practicum. We give people practical experience in how to use their gifts, and we need to do that as a church. I remember when Becky and I were living in Colorado when we got our first golden retriever. Becky's a dog lover, so we, you don't just go buy a dog, you research a dog. So we found a breeder not too far from us in the north side of Colorado Springs, and we go to this fancy dog farm and there's her these beautiful mom and dad golden retriever and their eight little puppies and we come out we have the pick of the litter we are there first and so we go there and the people are showing us around and there's the mom and dad and the eight little puppies and they come the dogs all come running down a hill kind of like little house on the prairie go running through the prairie and, and we saw abby she ran the fastest and fell the most and we're like, we want that dog. Because she was enthusiastic, she was optimistic, she kept falling, but she'd get right back up and run. And that's what Abby was like her entire life. And we loved her. Because the thing about puppies, their feet are bigger than their body. Dogs grow into their feet. You want to know how big your, your puppy's going to be? Look at their feet. If they got really big feet, they'll probably be a really big dog. If they got teeny feet, it might be a smaller dog. But dogs grow into their feet. That's why they trip and they fumble and they do goofy stuff. It's the same thing with spiritual gifts. Sometimes you have to grow into your spiritual gift. You might have more gift of prophecy than you're able to walk with. You might have a bigger gift of hospitality than you know how to use, but sometimes you've got to learn to walk in that. And we all know when you get a puppy, that first year is going to be trouble. But man, if you can make it past that first year, you're going to have a friend for the next 15 years. So we all put up with it. All of us dog lovers, we keep doing it over and over again. 
We put up with a one bad year because we know we'll get another 15 good years. And that's kind of like spiritual gifts. Sometimes we got to put up with an awkward period of learning how and learning what to do before we get really good at it. The truth is, we're all going to make mistakes with our spiritual gifts. We are. We're human beings. Not one of us is going to use our spiritual gifts in a way that we will never make mistakes. And that is okay. Because number one, making mistakes builds character. And number two, it reminds us that a spiritual gift is from God. And it's God's power working through us. It's God's presence and his power working through us. And that's why we continue to grow into our puppy feet. Because it's worth it to have God's presence and power working through us. So let's pause a minute and say, what is the gift of prophecy? Well, we're going to read what my father-in-law says. My father-in-law wrote probably 70 books, and his book on spiritual gifts was probably his bestseller. So I'm going to start here where he says, The gift of prophecy is a special ability that God gives to certain members of the body of Christ to receive and communicate an immediate message of God to his people through a divinely anointed utterance. That's a pretty solid little definition right there. We should unpack that a little bit. I think one thing that we need to understand about prophecy is prophecy is not always about predicting the future. Most people think prophecy is all about the future. A prophetic word can be for right this very second. Sometimes prophecy comes that way. So let me read to you how my wife defines prophecy in one of her books. She's a little not as winded as her father. She says, prophecy is speaking the mind and heart of God as revealed by the Holy Spirit. She condenses it a little bit. So I think the question that we all have is, what is the function of prophecy? I think sometimes we wonder, well, why does God speak? Why don't you just speak directly to that person? Why does he have to give me a message to give somebody else? That's kind of a big question a lot of people have. And I think one of the reasons is because God wants to show love. That's Paul's whole point of the, the spiritual gifts. It's about love. And God chooses to love other people sometimes through us giving a prophetic word to somebody else. And sometimes that's the most encouraging thing when somebody speaks directly to you. So what is the purpose of a prophecy? As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, he, the first five verses, let me just kind of read them quickly. He says, love, let love be your highest goal. But you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God, since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will be mysterious. But one who prophesies strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks the word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you are saying so that the whole church would be strengthened. I think we would all agree that a lot of us in church could really use to be strengthened, to be encouraged, and to find comfort. And that's what Paul says is really hard of the gift of prophecy. But before I continue to describe prophecy, I want to go back to verse number one. See, the first thing that Paul tells us is that we need to desire the gift of prophecy. He doesn't suggest 
that maybe you desire it. No, he tells us, you need to desire this gift. He's not making a suggestion. He's actually making a command. Paul's saying, it is your moral and your spiritual obligation to seek God and say, would you give me this gift or would you give me more of this gift? That's what Paul is saying. He's saying you all need to be praying that God would give you more and equip you better so you can encourage other people, so you can love other people, so you can strengthen other people. That's what Paul is saying. You guys all need to be praying for that. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody's going to become a prophet, that everybody's going to be able to give really good, detailed, fancy, prophetic words. But it does mean that we should all be moving in the direction of being able to encourage people, to strengthen people, and to comfort other people. That's what Paul is encouraging each of us to do here. Now, I want to remind you of a prophetic word back in the book of Joel that's repeated in the book of Acts. Where it reminds us that prophecy doesn't always come by God speaking to you. Prophecy might come through a dream or a vision. Listen to the book of Acts. In Acts 2, 17, it says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. And your old men will dream dreams. See, sometimes God speaks to us through dreams and visions. That's exactly the reason why I'm married to Becky, is because of a dream that she had. Becky had a prophetic dream. She was living in Colorado. I was living in California. The Lord wakes her up one night, or in a dream, the Lord told her, you need to go to a conference in California because your husband's there. That conference was in two weeks. I'm living in California. I have absolutely no idea that that conference is even going on. But the Lord told Becky in a dream, you need to go to the conference. So Becky said to her friends, she said, hey, I've had this dream. My husband's at this conference. My dad's doing in two weeks. What do you think? Her two friends said, prayed about and said, yeah, I believe you're right. You need to go. Becky that day bought a plane ticket. She called the hotel and they said, sorry, we don't have any rooms left. And she said, you need to get me a room because my husband's there. They found her a room. <laughs> Becky had a ticket. She was actually came to the conference she got there on a Sunday. I still didn't know that conference was even happening until I was in seminary and I was sitting at my desk like a good seminary student on a Sunday afternoon studying and I got a little hungry so I did what I do. I walked to the AM PM gas station and got some frozen yogurt. On my way back to my apartment, my friend pulls up in his Jeep, pulls down the window and says, Jack, get in the car, I'm taking you to a conference. I'm like, I'm not going to go to a conference. I can't skip a whole week of school. He said, yeah, you got to do it. I went back to my apartment, packed the bag, skipped a whole week of school, went to the conference, and I met her. That's how a prophetic word can work. Because when God speaks something, he creates something. That did not make any sense for me to skip a week of school. Granted, I don't like school that much, but logically, I would not skip just a whole week without even planning. I just packed my bags, and I went. But see, what God will do through a prophetic word is amazing how he can change circumstances because when he speaks something, it is going to change things. That's why it is so incredibly powerful. But as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 30, he, 14, 30, he says, all prophecy is based on revelation. But see, that's a tricky thing. Where did the revelation come from? Did it come from God or did it come from some other source? That's why we have to always check a prophetic word. 
Always make sure it's right. That's why Becky checked with her friends to make sure it was right. Because the hard thing about prophecy is you can easily make a mistake. Prophecy can easily go wrong really quickly. See, a lot of times you can get the revelation from God right. You can hear God right. But the time it goes from God's mouth through your mouth to somebody else, it can get polluted. A lot of times when you hear God say something, you give a message for somebody else, sometimes it's easy to put your own two cents in that word and it comes out wrong. It's so easy for a good prophetic word to come out wrong. And that's okay that if you hear something from God that you did what Becky did, you pause and you say to friends, would you pray with me? Is this right? Just because you're hearing God and you think God's giving me a message to give somebody else doesn't mean you have to give it right there on the spot. You can pause and you can wait a while. So that brings us to the good question of how do you know if a prophetic word is actually right? How do you judge a prophetic word? Remember Paul, he instructs a church. You test prophetic words. He says you just don't assume that they're right. And first, even John does in John's gospel, he says, John 1, John 4, he says, you must test them to see if the spirit they come from is from God. So John's well aware Prophetic words can go wrong, so test them. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that if a prophetic word is given in a church or an assembly like we're in, he said that the other, the, some people in the church need to evaluate it. He's all for it. Well, you evaluate it. You don't just assume somebody says, God says, I do. You evaluate it. And then in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Test everything that's what is said and hold on to the truth. We need to test it, make sure it's really right. Like Paul says, you don't just discard it, you test it. That's the instruction in Scripture. So what are three good ways to test prophecy? I have a whole list in your notes, and if you're online, you might want to look for the um, online. They come from one of the books my wife wrote. But I want to quickly talk about three easy ways to test a prophetic word. And number one, does it line up with a Bible? God is never going to speak a prophetic word that's, that contradicts the Bible. That one's completely out. If somebody said to me, Jack, you're going to get married to some, no, no, I'm married to Becky. That would be wrong. The, the prophetic word's never going to be contrary to the word of God. And then the other one is, does it, um, you check it with other people, like Becky did. You check it with other believers, and what do you think of this word? But I think before I go on to more reasons how to judge it, I think it's good to understand what's the purpose of a prophetic word. Because when you understand the purpose, sometimes it's easier to know how to evaluate a prophetic word. Remember in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us a prophetic word is to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. And then later in that chapter, Paul also says that prophecy can use to bring conviction. But sometimes a prophetic word can bring conviction. So we talk about strengthen and courage and comfort, three words that kind of similar, have a lot of similar meanings, meanings. The first word strengthen, a lot of your translations talk about edification or to edify. It's kind of a fancy way of saying to instruct somebody for their benefit and to build them up. See, sometimes a prophetic word can actually include some, maybe could include some, some some teaching or training that is actually biblical. It could come out that way. That doesn't mean that all preaching or teaching is prophecy, but sometimes prophecy can contain elements that are good biblical teaching. 
And sometimes prophecy is not that super duper spiritual and hard to really um, receive from God. I think a lot of us are hearing God a whole lot more than we really realize it at times. But in our Western culture, sometimes we don't understand the supernatural. What happened to me last week, and this happens a lot, I'll be reading my Bible and I'll get to a certain verse and pop in my mind, I'll think of a friend. That happened to me a couple weeks ago. I'm reading through the book of Joshua when God's instructing Joshua to be bold and to be strong and to be courageous and to cross over. And I'm reading these verses and the entire time I'm thinking about a good friend of mine. And so I'm praying these scriptures for him. So when I got done, I sent him a text. I said, hey, I'm thinking about you this morning while I'm reading Joshua. These four verses really struck me. I'm praying these for you today. He calls me back that evening and he says, thank you so much. That was exactly what I needed to hear. I was feeling discouraged. God has something big for me to do. I didn't feel like I qualified. I didn't feel like I was good enough. And I've been wrestling with the Lord all morning and saying, are you really calling me or am I imagining something? He said, what you sent me spoke directly to me to encourage me, to strengthen me, to comfort me. Yeah, I'm doing what God's called me to do. And it was something as simple as me reading scripture and saying to my friend, hey, I think God's speaking this to you. There's many times you're reading your Bible and some friend of yours pops into your mind or your head. You start praying for them or you start reading a scripture and you're thinking about that. Sometimes that is God's prompt to you. Share that with that other person. You don't have to be driving your car and you hear God give a big prophetic word. Sometimes it's as simple as sharing with someone, I'm reading this in the scripture, I thought of you today. Because I know when people send that to me, it always ministers to me. And you know what? If you get it wrong, so what? That's no harm. But when you get it right, it can change somebody. That's what it did for my friend. It changed him. He was ready to give up on what God had called him to do and said, I just sent him those verses. He's like, that's confirmation that God is speaking to me. That's why prophecy is so encouraging. That's why prophecy brings comfort and reassurance. I remember when we, Becky and I, made the decision to have Trey. We were a little bit like, ooh, we thought God was calling us to have another baby. And we're like, oh, I don't know. Our Nick is pretty much of a handful. Are we really hearing God that we should try to go for Trey? So we kind of went back and forth. And, and so, you know, we had, we had Nick and we had Sam. So we were, um, we were praying and we thought God was saying yes. But we were a little shy to do until one of our friends called us up and said, I've been praying for you for over a month, and every time I pray for you, I hear God saying, you need to have one more baby. That's comforting. It was encouraging. Because we were scared. But God spoke. And we obeyed. And there's Trey. <laughs> so, that's how God works. I don't know if we would have done. I don't know if we would have tried without that word to come encourage us that God's in this. So we're grateful. Another thing that Paul says, prophecy can bring conviction. It can expose secrets in the heart. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14. He says, but if all of you are prophesying, and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting. They will be convicted of sin 
and judge by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed, and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. See, that's exactly what happened to me 30 years ago. 30 years ago, somebody gave me a prophetic word. I didn't know what a prophetic word was. I barely knew who Jesus was. And the person said to me, God is calling you into full time in the ministry. I thought that's the craziest thing I ever heard. But a part of me knew exactly that that person was right. I was working in banking. I'd, I'd was just working in banking, and I had no aspiration that I'd ever be full-time in the ministry. And when he gave me that word, it changed my entire life. It changed the trajectory of my life because it exposed to me some of the hidden things in my heart. See, some of you know I shared my story about a I don't know, three or four months ago about my journey with same-sex attraction and my journey and my sexuality. But at that time, I received that word. I'm, I'm this young kid in my early 20s, 21 or 22, and I'm struggling with, what do I do with this? I've been praying for 10 years for God to make me straight, and it hadn't happened. I'm not living, I'm not pursuing same-sex relationships, not because I had such a good sexual ethic, I was scared of getting killed. I was scared of being mocked or ridiculed. You know, 30 years ago, you wouldn't do that. So I'm kind of hiding from everybody. Nobody knows my story except me. I'm trying to carry this story all on my own. And so I start secretly making plans in my head that I'm going to just move to a big city. You know, I can get away from my family. They'll not know nothing. I can find a banking job probably wherever I want to go. I'd move to a big city. I'd pursue like a same-sex relationships. But I'd come back to Grand Rapids occasionally and visit, and nobody would really know. So I had this whole plan going on in the back of my head. This is going to probably work pretty good. I could get a job. And so I'm kind of getting towards those plans when that person came to me and said, God is calling you full-time in the ministry. Changed my entire life. First of all, I couldn't understand why would God call me? Because he hadn't been very, um, he hadn't been attentive to my prayer life for the last 10 years. So I'm thinking, why would God call me? Why would God call me? He knows the sin I'm doing. He knows what I'm like, but yet God called me. And just like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, it brings conviction of sin. It exposes things in your life. That totally set my life on a different course. See, God had his plan. And the plan for Jesus, for my life, was to put Jesus at the center of my life, not my sexual orientation. And see, that's God's plan for every single person. That Jesus is center of your life, not your orientation. It really doesn't matter if you're gay or you're straight. We all have an orientation or a bent to sin. And that's what God is saying to each person. You surrender to me and put Jesus in the front of your life and I can work things out for you. And that's what happened in my life 30 years ago. And sometimes people are wondering, why are you talking about that so much? We're starting to get a lot of pushback. People are like, you shouldn't talk about that. We're talking about it because of Trey. Because Trey keeps saying to us, if you don't share your story, how are people going to find help? If you don't share your story, how is church going to be a safe people, a safe place? 
for people. So that's why we keep sharing the story. Because church needs to be a safe place for people, no matter what their orientation is. So that's why I keep sharing it. But that's, that's part of what prophecy does. It convicts you of sin. When you hear a redemptive prophetic word, you hear what God wants to do in your life, it changes. Because God's word is so powerful, it creates things. So then in Acts 21 verse 4, Paul also says that prophetic words can give warnings to people. It says, the believers prophesied through the Holy Spirit that Paul should not go to Jerusalem. Prophetic word of a warning. And then in 1 Timothy 4.14, prophetic words can be used to identify and to impart spiritual gifts. Paul says to Timothy, don't neglect the spiritual gifts you receive through prophecies spoken over you when the elders of the church laid hands on you. Some people understand their prophetic gifts through somebody else telling them. Actually, sometimes I think that's the best way to understand your prophetic gifts. When people that kind of know you and are around you, they'll be like, yeah, I see that gift clearly for you. So that's what the gifts are for. So sometimes it's helpful to understand what is the purpose of the prophetic word when you're evaluating a prophetic word. Because if a prophetic word doesn't fall in one of these categories of to encourage you, to comfort you, to exhort you, to convict you of sin, or to warn you of a danger, or help you identify spiritual gifts, then he can kind of sit back and say, I'm not sure that really was an accurate word. And so I have in the notes kind of a list of other things that you can look at to, to kind of decide if a prophetic word is good for you, if it, if it makes sense. You can read those on your own later. But then another question is, what do you do with a prophetic word if you know that it's right? Because not always do prophetic words come together really quickly. I mean, like Becky had the revelation that I would be at the conference. That meant we still dated. We still went through a dating period to make sure this is going to happen. She didn't find me and say, hey, we're going to get married tomorrow. We still went through a dating process. Sometimes we do that with a prophetic word. We understand it's true. We start praying through it, and we start obeying the prophetic word. And sooner or later, we'll see fulfillment of that prophetic word. You don't have to be in a big hurry. But I think we start to see the real purpose and the real benefits of prophecy through the letter that Paul wrote to Timothy recorded in 1 Timothy 1. In that letter, Paul says to Timothy, he says, Timothy, my son, here are my instructions for you. Based on the prophetic words spoken about you earlier, may they help you fight well in the Lord's battle. Cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear, for some people have deliberately violated their consciousness. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Right in the middle of here, Paul says, Timothy, remember the prophetic words spoken to you. That's a pretty powerful instruction that Paul has given to Timothy. Here Paul is getting towards the end of his life, and Timothy is one of his young protégés that he's been raising up and to train. And Paul knows it's getting to the end of his life. His last three books were First and Second Timothy and Titus, and it's some of the final words of instruction that Paul is giving to his young leaders. And Paul is saying to Timothy, look, it's going to be hard and challenging out there. You're now in charge of this church of Ephesus, and things aren't going well. 
There's a lot of division in the church. There's a, there's a lot of distractions in the church. There's a lot of heresy going on in the church. There's false doctrines being taught in the church. And he's reminding Timothy that you need to stand for the truth in the middle of these churches. And I love how in verse 5 he says to Timothy, but the goal is to love with a pure heart. He says to Timothy, above all else, your goal is to love people well. Same thing that he said to the church at Corinthians. Your goal is to love people well. And my guess it's going to be hard for Timothy because there is a lot of problems in that church. And Timothy is kind of a young guy. And I think Paul is a little worried about Timothy that he's going to be, get too discouraged or that he might give up. Or he might look at the situation in the church and say, that's more than I can handle. If Paul can handle, then why should I even try? And he's going to back away. So what does Paul do to Timothy? He says, remember the prophetic words that you received. When you're discouraged, when you're frustrated, when you're feeling hopeless, remember what God spoke to you. Because those are going to strengthen you. Those will bring you comfort. Those will bring you encouragement. Those will bring you conviction. I think that's why Paul is saying to the church, you need to prophesy more. You need to prophesy to other people because people need encouragement. Because a lot of people are feeling really hopeless at times. I love how in the, in the middle of this, in, in, in this, this letter to Timothy, he reminds Timothy about all the sin in the world. He's reminding Timothy about all the sinners. And Paul steps back and he says, but you know what? I'm the worst of all sinners. Paul's not throwing anybody else under the bus. He's saying, I am probably one of the worst sinners. And he's reminding Timothy, the law is not going to make people well. Telling people what they did wrong is not going to make people well. Pointing out people's sin is not going to make them well. Trying to get a person to develop a sexual ethic is not going to work well. But he tells Paul in verse 5, the goal is to love others with a pure heart and a clean conscience. That is his goal for Timothy, that Timothy would love well. And he knows the best way for Timothy to love well if he's encouraged, if he's strengthened. And that's why he wants us to ask God to give us the gift of prophecy in a greater way so we can encourage people to love well. So I want to close today by just praying for each of us that God would give us more of the gift to encourage people and strengthen people and edify people. We did this two weeks ago, but Paul doesn't say just pray at once. He's telling us that we need to seek it. It's our responsibility to seek it. So let's close with prayer. Then we'll have Greg and the worship team come up and lead us in a final song. And, and then um, I'll come back up and do the benediction. And then if anybody you want prayer, please come forward. Um, you know, the last few weeks in church, we've had people come forward that needed some physical healing. And we've seen God touch their bodies. And some people have felt tremendously better afterwards. Uh, Becky um, just has the ability to pray for people with especially some back issues. And people get healed. It's kind of a, a family gift. Her dad had the same gift, and now I'm seeing Becky with the same thing. So especially if your body, uh, you need healing, please come forward afterwards, and we'll pray for you. And, you know, we did this a couple weeks ago. We just hung out for a while, and if anybody needs prayer, please come forward. 
Oh, we got a request. Yes. Yes. Obviously, please come up. I love this. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians. You have other people come up and share in church. Church is not supposed to just be me preaching, Greg singing, but other people come up as well and share. So let me get your microphone. Um, I want I was just sitting there and I just really felt um, pressed to share this because sometimes we think the gifts are only for a minister who is ordained, but really it is for that encouragement of the body. And um, back in November, I was I had made the decision to change jobs um, from world mission to a secular job. And I really wrestled with that because all of you, that anyone here that knows me, and all of, I think most of you do, you know my passion is for missions. And so I had, you know, it really was a big decision when I left the corporate world and I went into um, the nonprofit world and I worked with, um, Ted and I worked with Club 1040. And, you know, that was the fulfillment of a dream. And so what I want to do is demonstrate what is a real picture of prophecy and how it should work and a picture of how it's used incorrectly. And so when I um, went on, the, when Ted and I went to go to Club 1040, now most of you would think that most Christians would be really excited about that. <laughs> well... Um, some Christians in our circle were not. And instead of getting a word of encouragement, I was given a lot of words of discouragement that really made me um, question who I was and what I was doing. And so instead of edifying me and lifting me up, they actually tore me down. And that stuck with me for a long time. And I really had to struggle with that even as I was seeing the fruit of it out in the field, when I'm praying with someone who is not a Christ follower and is a Muslim, <laughs> you know, I still in the back of my mind had that whispering to me, you know, maybe you're not a good Christian wife because you're going out on the field and your husband is doing what he was called to do, which was helps ministry in the background. And so um, I came home, and God gave me another one of my dreams, was to go and work for World Mission. <laughs> and it was lovely. I love that mission. And I encourage you, because this church also has partnered with them. They are doing phenomenal things. And, you know, we're seeing Afghanistan refugees being born again and praying. And so that's really exciting. But I, it's in me, right? My, my gift is, and I've had it, you know, <laughs> validated, is to share Jesus. And when I'm not doing what God's called me to do, I'm restless, and I am in discontent. And so even though I loved being at that ministry and working there, I knew it really wasn't for me anymore. I was in the Christian bubble. <laughs> I, needed, I need to be in places where I can share Jesus Christ with people that don't know him. And either that's verbally or it's through my walk or whatever until God opens that door. 
And so right before I left World Mission, they knew about it. We were, I was going, but we hadn't shared it externally because of things I was finishing out. I was with um, our CEO in Florida at a Christian, uh, Christian, National Christian Business Chamber Conference. And the president of this uh, chamber uh, wrote a book. And I listened to her do her speak, her talk. She was a keynote speaker. And I went up and I purchased the book afterwards, and she was signing them. And she wrote in that book, and I don't know this woman, okay? <laughs> so just want you to know that. I did not know her. I met her, but I didn't know her. Um, she wrote, I see you. And I was very puzzled by that. I'm like, what, is, what the heck does that mean? You know, <laughs> I see you. Well, of course you see me. I'm standing right in front of you. You signed my book. All right? Um, but so later, when I had an opportunity to see her on a break, I said, you know, I, I just have to ask you, what did you mean by that? That was very puzzling to me. No, she doesn't know anything about me. She doesn't know that I had already put in my notice to leave and that I was leaving World Mission to go to this secular job. And I was wrestling with whether or not I was making the right decision, but I really felt I was making the right decision. And she said, I, I meant exactly what I said. I see you. And she said, and I'm paraphrasing now because I don't remember exactly, but basically she said, I know that you're not in the role you're supposed to be and that God's got a shift for you. And you guys, I mean, I get chills when I just share that. So it wasn't a thus saith the Lord, anything like that, <laughs> where, we've, where we've seen the gift sometimes, you know, it, not used correctly because we know it's for encouragement, right? And so... I was just, I had so much peace after that, and I shared with her that I was leaving World Mission. And that was the only person outside of World Mission that knew that. And um, so that's one of the ways I just wanted to just share that's a very practical use of the gift of prophecy. She was given a message from God to write something she didn't know what it was for, but she was obedient and stepped into that. And so that, in turn, once I understood what she meant by that, was encouragement and let me know that I had the green light and I'm loving my job. And I'm in the middle of a place where I, you know, I'm just outright telling people, hey, I'm a Jesus freak. You know, so to unbelievers. Um, so I just wanted to share that because sometimes we've seen it in different ways used, but it also is also used as a word of encouragement in very practical ways also. Thank you for sharing that. I like that. That is very practical. And now Becky said she wants to share something. I do. So this is the way that prophecy has worked for us. Back when we were dating, um, we, got a, we did get a word. Actually, you got the word that one day not only would you be a minister, but that you would be ministering to people who are so broken that they're almost dead. And that is a prophetic word that you received, about, I guess, about 28 years ago. And that's one of those words that we've been warring with for all these years, just believing God, knowing that it's right. And so now, and I think that's one of the reasons that you share your story as often as you do. 
because, and here's where I'm giving a prophetic word for today, there may not be a lot of us here today, but one day we will see this place filled with people who are so broken they're almost dead. And we have word for that word, and we believe that Lake Effect is the place that's going to be a safe place for people to be, for people to come and receive healing, and that we're going to see that prophetic word fulfilled. And so we continue to war with it. It's for a right now. It's not a story just in the past. This is where we're at today, and we're going to see these pews filled with people who have been seeking and searching for Jesus, who are broken, who have been so broken they're almost dead, and who are beginning to come back to life in Jesus' name. back for sharing that word that is was very powerful word that we received and that oh that was a great prophetic word that we did receive 28 years ago and that keeps giving us fight and tenacity it's like so what paul said to timothy you've got to take your prophetic word and sometimes they're like arrows they're weapons that god gives us to fight it's nice when a prophetic word like becky has a dream boom 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 it happens but what paul said to timothy sometimes your prophetic words are promises that you got to use to fight the warfare with